Once Upon a Time Season 5 is over, but we are just getting started here at Once Upon a Recap. Hello, all you magical people out there. My name is Mike Bloom, joined, as always, by Kurt Clark. Kurt, how have you been? It's been a couple weeks since we last spoke about Once Upon a Time. Have you taken a nicely removed break from talking about the show? I'm staying alive with Season 5, so it's... uh. It's 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 it was a, it was a nice little pause, but I'm ready to kind of talk talk about the season that was, uh, conjecture about the season that will be, um, and just kind of see where things go. Ironic that you say season five staying alive, considering that the entire back half was dedicated to them going to a place filled with dead characters. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> a little, little unfortunate. The, and no disco. We we heard one eighty song about five times over the course of this season, but no BGs playing. True. Although it um, it was nicely absent from the back half until the very end. Yeah, it was brought up in the... I forget if we talked about this in our finale recap, but Emma does see the song was on the uh, the stereo in Neil's apartment where Henry and Violet previously were. I guess whenever they saw an opportune moment, they would play that song mm. since it was their song. But It, it was it, even uh, the title of the episode, I believe. Yes, it was. The, the first half, at least. Yeah, uh, yeah. So we've got a slew of questions and thoughts and general feedback from you guys, the listeners, which we are super happy to get to. But first... Uh, with Big Brother coming around the corner, I wanted to warm that up. Uh, I want to just talk about our thoughts in general about both this half season and season five as a whole. So let's start small and work our way outwards. Uh, Kurt, we have just recently wrapped season five B. We went to the underworld. We came back from the underworld. We lost Robin Hood. We lost, then gained Hook. We might have gained Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. We might have gained Violet. Who knows? We'll talk about that with our season six conjecture. What are your overall thoughts on the past three months of television we saw via Once Upon a Time? I really enjoyed it as much as um, I thought that we would not be in the underworld the entire season. I thought it was going to be more of a mix of, hey, here's the stuff going on in the underworld. And then they escape, but something maybe comes back with them, which it kind of ended up happening that way. (laughs) Someone, Um, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I I thought we would be more of a uh, like... 70 30 split between in underworld uh in storybrook it ended up being more of like a 90 10 95 5 split so that surprised me but you know given how much time the for instance going back to the much loved uh front half of season three um you know i I didn't really maybe just the neverland setting i didn't care for how long they seemed to spend there so i guess looking at this it really was dependent on the setting and not how much time elapsed while they were there. Uh, so really enjoyed the back half of season five. So I would say there are definitely pros and cons to it as there are to any half season of once upon a time with the pros. I do agree with you that I did like the underworld specifically. I like the facets of revisiting previous characters. I yes. do feel like actually, I think my favorite characters we revisited were the ones that were connected to Regina, you know, starting off with King Henry in the first episode and then having Cora be one of the last people I thought was a really great connection. And again, really grounded this character of Regina. I feel like this back half was the, like the Regina's story completely for her to kind of run away with considering how much she was the focus of those last like four or five episodes in the half season. So I enjoyed those aspects. I love seeing people like Cruella DeVille back, even seeing like the blind witch from season one, Peter Pan, even though he kind of got nerfed a little bit (laughs) when, you know, his dad and his son ended up destroying him. So I enjoyed those aspects. And I think maybe 
you're wondering why we might have enjoyed this more than Neverland, I guess maybe that's the discerning factor for me is the fact that we got to, at least if we have to languish in the underworld, at least we're there with characters that we know. You know, these aren't characters that we're going to have to learn about and really, you know, get a soft spot for Peter Pan's uh, best mate. So I enjoyed that aspect. That being said, I do feel like we spent a little too much time in the underworld. I think I remember us saying all like halfway through the story arc okay they said they were gonna get hades what are they doing why are they just standing around they're doing literally nothing and there was a good few episodes when everyone was just kind of like twiddling their thumbs not ready to attack hades when you know you find hook bloodied and battered you definitely have some vitriol and you you want to be able to take him out and i will say speaking of hades i don't know i was drawn in by greg german's performance in the beginning but Something, in my opinion, just waned on me for him, if that mm. makes sense. Uh, I Maybe it was because they did humanize him and make him realize, like, oh, he was actually in love with Zelina. And yes, he did sort of have this ulterior motive that once he came up to Storybrooke, he was going to take it over. But that's a plot we've seen before. And I feel like we kind of defanged Hades a little bit as time went on. So he, become, he became more and more harmless to the point of where, you know, when he had the Olympian crystal... I didn't think he was a legitimate threat whatsoever. So I will say I wasn't a big fan of Hades as a villain for this half season. Yeah, it's like I'm wondering if part of that's also the fact that we never really seem to be able to pin down his true motivations. Um, I'm trying to think back through some of the the dramas that I've really enjoyed where there is a, a, a quote unquote, you know, main villain where, you know, lots of times I think we're let in on the fact that there is more of a master plan uh, than the quote unquote heroes uh, usually kind of latch onto. Um, and here it's, it really seemed it came off as authentic that he was genuine in his feelings for Zelina and at least not um, disingenuine in terms of uh, his desires to uh, do any harm or to, to anybody else. Um, so it's, it, it's interesting kind of where it ended up leading. I, I think one of the confusing things is that, you know, we, we kind of have leave this season uh, with the, the reality that uh, evil villains can can also fall in love and have feelings. And I think that's kind of the the strange uh, position that we are left with, uh, with with Hades. I mean, the, when we saw, we never really saw. I think Regina in love as a villainess. Uh, it was more like the loss of love and Daniel that pushed her to the dark side, and she didn't really start to kind of ha- have true feelings for others, uh, like a, a romantic relationship, until she had also kind of denounced the dark side for the most part. Um, so, so I'm, I'm wondering if if that's kind of part of the the feeling and the confusion is he seemed to have genuine feelings for Zelina, so we should root for him, but at the same time, you know, we're uncertain. It turns out he does have uh, villainous ten- uh, intentions for everybody else. Speaking towards Zelina, I guess we can sort of also segue this into general thoughts about season five. I feel like this season was a tale of two completely different Zelinas. I feel like the first half Zelina, we were still getting the Zelina we know and to a certain extent love the you know cackling Mr. Burns, excellent fingers together, maniacal over the top witch who made a surprise return at the end of season four. And she was, you know, very clearly plotting that she wanted her baby and she wanted everyone to get away from her, even though she kind of gets dragged into the dark one plot. And then in the 
back half, we find out so much more about her, and she's humanized, and she's given someone to love, and we'll definitely talk about the repercussions of that later on in this podcast, but... I, I've I've looked around with some other people's thoughts on this season. Some people feel that you know doing that stuff with Zelina goes against the characterization that they built out of her before. But I much rather like this three dimensional view of Zelina. I feel like if you had her be the person she was in ever since we've seen her in the back half of season three, I feel like that's going to get real old real fast. Especially when it was even clear in the in the front half of season five, I think they were just figuring out stuff to do to give Zelina. I feel like they were you know mm-hmm. grasping at straws trying to have her be prominent in the plot now with her becoming more of a a three-dimensional character and also you know making up with regina and now they have something to bond over they both lost their loves i feel like when i've read the news that rebecca mater was added to the cast as a main now looking at the end of this season this makes a lot more sense yeah, and part of I think maybe the again the, the confusion about Hades is we do see that same journey for Zelina that we saw with Regina in terms of um, uh, kind of a parallel path of uh, falling in love and somewhat denouncing evil. Uh, and then the confusing thing potentially is that we don't really see that denouncing of evil from from Hades. So it's and, and even the, by contrast, you see gold. Um, gold isn't able to wake up. Uh, uh, Bell with true love's kiss, which seems to also further imply almost this idea that if you have dark tendencies, you're not able to actually truly experience love. And so I think it was just the the truly authentic feelings that I think we saw with that Hades had for Zelina. It's kind of very confusing and a little against the arc of how Once Upon a Time has told things for him to still be evil and to still experience those positive romantic feelings. Now, Kurt, I want you to think back all the way to December 2015, and you hopefully won't have to uh, create a time portal like Hades tried to do in order to get back there, pull out any scarecrow's brains. But... I know you probably don't want to look at season five as a whole, since again, these feel like two very distinct seasons, but how would you compare the two against each other? And how would you compare them? I would say, you know, even if you want to do as small as season four, which we covered here, or if you want to compare it against the grand scheme, I would just love to hear your thoughts about the past year of television we saw on Once Upon a Time. It was funny because like earlier today, I had to flick without re- consulting my notes. I was like, what was the front half even about? Um, I, you know what? I think I'd much preferred the back half of season five to the front half. I remember, and, and I still feel this way, that the as, as much as I kind of griped about the use of flashbacks, the almost seemingly obligatory use of flashbacks in the back half of season five, at least it wasn't confusing um, to some extent. The I... The front half of season five, I just really wasn't a fan of the bouncing back and forth between um, uh, what was going on in Camelot of the past and then present day storybook because the past was literally like in the past couple of weeks. And so it, it was confusing. I remember going back and watching what we know happened in Camelot, but also acknowledging the fact that in present day Storybrooke, uh, they have no knowledge of these events. And so you really had to kind of do this, this sort of uh, mental gymnastics to, to understand, oh, wait, the reason they're not acting in a particular way is that they don't remember that that actually happened because that even though we just saw them experience it, 
Now, when we flash forward, they have amnesia and they don't remember it. And so it's harder for us to forget that something just happened and kind of keeping everything straight. So as, as much as I really actually enjoyed Arthur as a villain, I thought that that, that was a, a fun character, kind of not a truly evil person, but more just kind of like a, a douche. Um, <laughs> I, I, I really did enjoy that. But in terms of the... Um, the the back and forth and the amnesia and the the having to kind of sort things out compartmentalize in my own head i didn't enjoy that as much as being able to just kind of sit back and watch and then drink it all in as i did with the back half see i might disagree here i might actually upon reflection like 5a a little more than 5b and i will agree that i think if we're cause comparing the two i would say that in terms of characterization i think 5b does beat 5a but I think as much as you may gripe about the whole amnesia plot, I feel like 5A in terms of plotting beats 5B. Because I remember 5A, there was a lot of stuff going on. I mean, by like episode four, we had found out Arthur's intentions and when he was using the Sands of Avalon and that we knew that, you know, everything was not as it seems. And maybe I'm biased because I'll again say that the reveal of Hook being the second dark one, I feel like is up there as one of the biggest, best twists the show has ever done. So even though it was paired with the Bear King in that Thanksgiving two-hour <laughs> block, uh, I, I really, really enjoyed that. And I am also might be a little biased because I didn't really enjoy what the show did in terms of the, I guess I'll call it the mythos of Once Upon a Time and, ta- and really boiling down like how were the dark ones created? What does being a dark one mean? Mm-hmm. What happens when we see someone we know become a dark one? How do they change? Though I will think, I do agree that I think once we found out what happened with Hook, I feel like, again, if we're talking about defanging our villains, the entire summer we were saying, great, Dark Swan, this is awesome. She comes in, she kicks ass, she turns people into trees, she turns people into statues. And then as it gets further on, we just realize like, oh yeah, she was good the entire time. She was just trying to keep everyone away so she could carry forth with her mission, which I thought was a a little bit of a letdown but i don't know maybe it's because i felt like again we, we languished too much in the underworld but i might have to say because of the urgency that the plot moved along 5a might inch out 5b for me you see i think i i i wasn't looking forward to dark swan coming into season five i was a little bit upset they say like, okay now there we just you know have finally renounced got regina onto the, the the side of good and now we have another person it was like whack-a-mole dark ones for me in terms of like oh we just kind of said even though regina was a dark one we just kind of have settled her down almost like nailed her down as okay she's good finally and then this evil being pops up and now it's emma i wasn't looking forward to emma as as an evil being i completely agree with you though in terms of the um, there was a really interesting mythos with the dark ones and how that all played out and and how it kind of they carried the, the story played out over 13 episodes i think just for me the reason i preferred the the back half is i really i just personal preference i grew up really enjoying greek mythology mm. and so i really enjoyed the idea of hades as a character and going into the underworld and seeing this darker side of storybrook and and we've talked about before that one of the reasons i think both you and i were drawn to once upon a time was the idea of all of these different characters uh whose stories that we know never intersect you suddenly get to see uh Ariel interacting with Belle, interacting with Captain Hook. And so I kind of liked, again, the idea with the the underworld of almost reintroducing this this parade of characters that we only saw uh, bits of in terms of getting to see Gaston again, uh, but in a, in a larger sense, getting to see Cora again, um, getting to see even for the first time Hercules and Meg. So I, I liked the 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 addition of characters it might have been a little bit much for some folks but i think in terms of what really kind of scratched my itch i'd like i love the 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 mythos of 
the underworld and the kind of the, the interacting cross pollination of character arc story arcs. Now I've gone on record a few times on this podcast saying that I thought season five overall was my favorite since the first. Uh, and even though, you know, uh, even though I had my negative qualities with this season, I would still probably hold true to that statement. Do you agree with me? How does this season compare to you on the larger spectrum? Okay. Uh, I would have to agree. Um, uh, I'd I'd have to take a closer look at season two and see kind of where, where some of that falls. Um, but for obvious reasons, season three is not up there for me. Uh, as much or as at, I le- love, at least the, at least the front half isn't. Yes. I mean, if we're looking at it in totality, if we're looking at it as five seasons set instead of 10, um, uh, the front halves of seasons three and four didn't really do it for me uh, as much as season five in totality did. I think it's hard to get it past season one, which kind of kicked everything off and was a nice novel, uh, a storytelling approach. Um, so I'd, I might have to review season two a little bit more closely, but it's definitely uh, in either uh, second or tied for second, third place. Yeah, I would say that I think starting with the back half of season four with the Queens of Darkness and Isaac, the author, I do feel like that was sort of like almost a renaissance yeah esque period and who knows maybe renaissance authors or teenage mutant ninja turtles we will see coming up in season six from the land of untold stories oh boy it's by, we, in bi- we, biographical works yeah we, we never like oh jane Eyre is in storybook yay <laughs> like in terms of in terms of like really where it's gonna go but i you know that that's that's i'm sure something we'll be talking about a little bit later well uh, yeah we, actually we can start off with it now so enough of our yakking uh let's dive into your questions thoughts and general feedback i want to start again small and build out let's talk about season 5b and where we left off in general i'm going to start with a question from emily crow who says while watching the season finale and seeing that the new character was a doctor i guessed it was dr jekyll but i couldn't really believe i was right having taught gothic lit and that book i'm worried that once upon a time could be going down a slippery slope we already have shows like penny dreadful which also includes dr jekyll even if they do use dracula the character as kurt suggested that is very close territory to vampires and ghosts something more akin to supernatural is one veering too far off its own path considering the current tv landscape now this is an interesting question i want to start off on kurt what Emily's alluding to is the fact that if we're going down here, we've always seen a little bit of it with Frankenstein, but you know, right. with Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, you brought up the possibility of Dracula and other, vamp- uh, other characters. I mean, with the land of old to- untold stories, there is a plethora of ideas of characters that can come in. If we start seeing more supernatural elements from that kind of realm of fiction, do you feel like once upon a time would be, re- it would be a shadow of its former self in a way? I personally would enjoy the hell out of it. I think we've, I've gone on record in the past as saying, um, I, I would have, I was kind of hoping that we would get more scenes and more interaction in this black and white world of Dr. Whale slash Dr. Frankenstein, Frank, Frankenstein, Frankenstein. Um, and, uh, <laughs> put the candle back. Um, Here. <laughs> oh if anybody doesn't get that then i pity you that's it that's um, your goal for the summer if you haven't watched young frankenstein you have three months to do so before we come back exactly so i i was um i i think i personally would like that again it's personal preference for me i i can completely see why others would uh not enjoy a slide down that slippery slope um but it's something that i personally would enjoy uh i don't necessarily think 
it's going there. I think that we saw that the land of untold stories isn't necessarily this haven for dark uh, characters. If is any, if the uh, illustrations in the you know once upon a time addendum book that uh, uh, we need to come up with a snappy name for the the, the sequel. Um, uh, twice upon a time maybe was the book that he was looking through or uh, once upon a time volume two yeah yeah we'll, we'll name it i'll have the name guardians <laughs> of the galaxy movies <laughs> epilogue um is from the illustrations in there it doesn't necessarily seem like it's necessarily uh going down a dark path it's branching out more in terms of uh folklore and fantastic stories rather than fa- fantasy or fairy tale um so I, I don't think that's where it's going. I, I, I'm not personally thinking that it's in danger. Uh, but as I said, even if it did start to edge a little bit more into, uh, you know, uh, you know, get Annabelle Lee and some other stories of Edgar Allan Poe in there, I think that would be an interesting take. I don't think it's going to dominate it. Um, so it's not, not something I'm too worried about. How about you? Yeah, I mean, in terms of Emily's argument about like, oh, it might be too much like this show, too much like that show. I mean, I'll take you back to 2011 when this first premiered next to an NBC show called Grimm. Now, I remember yeah. at the time a lot of people sort of like what happened when studio 60 and 30 rock both premiered of mm-hmm. oh these are two shows with very similar premises they're going to be natural competitors let's see how they do and i would argue that i think in the ratings war once upon a time has probably been the more successful even though both shows are still on the air um so i think even if they did go in this direction i think it's not necessarily going to become a completely different show that being said i don't see it happening just because yes this might veer into darker material sometimes, but at the end of the day, Once Upon a Time kind of values itself as a family show, a show mm-hmm. that really, I mean, family is key. It's one of the main tenets of the show. And I think, you know, if you include things like vampires and zombies on there, and not we're not just talking about, you know, Daniel the zombie, I mean, actual full-fledged zombies, uh, I feel like that's something, a decision that the production team and the network would not want to make. They're more so in the yeah. magical realm than they are the, the horror realm. Right. So I, I wouldn't even expect, I would expect, you know, if Dracula came, that he would have a, a tragic backstory and would be shedding tears of mm. blood. And it's interesting. I, I almost see it potentially less going the way of um, uh, Monster Squad uh, <laughs> than I do uh, potentially going the way of uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. And, and I'm thinking more of the, the graphic novels than not, the, not the Sean Connery movie, <laughs> the, the hit Sean Connery film. But the idea that Dr. Jekyll and, and Mr. Hyde were a, um, characters in that, or maybe, maybe, and this is good showing how much, how many, you know, bad movie, how much bad film I watch. Um, think back to, uh, uh, Van Helsing, uh, uh, with um, Hugh oh Jackman. Gosh, thank you very much. Uh, you know, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde was one of the very first characters that's encountered in that. It's almost like a prologue to the movie. Um, but League of Extraordinary Gentlemen had uh, had Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. It had Captain Nemo. Uh, it had Alan Quartermain, uh, adventurer, you know, Cities of Gold. Um, so it, 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 it was more kind of like a, a uh, 19, like pulp 1920s slash slightly you know, earlier kind of turn of the century, 1800s. Uh, uh, you know, adventure stories, um, which I think would kind of be an interesting way to go. But again, based on the illustrations in Twice Upon a Time, it's it didn't seem like that's necessarily even the way that they're going. It's going to be almost like more folklore and tall tales. So, one more question about just the where we left off in season five. B. Cat uh, Smith asks, "Do you think we'll get any flashbacks to Hooks 
brief time in Olympus? Or are we done with the Greek stuff from 5B? And that really is the full version of events. Now, Kurt, you fancy yourself a Greek mythology connoisseur. I know you were very <laughs> excited to see Zeus for all of those <laughs> okay. two minutes. Uh, and we got the deus ex machina literal moment when Hook came back. Do you think there's any chance that we're going to see flashbacks to that moment and or Hook is going to have some sort of secret power that he acquired on top of Mount Olympus? Or do you think it's really just, <laughs> oh yeah, he died, he came back, and we're so, moving on? Secret, so bit like Captain Lawan instead of Captain Hook? Yeah, he's got superpower. Uh, <laughs> he's going to appear on uh, Once Upon a Time, Price is Right. O-U-A-T-T-P-I-R. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, you never know. I What I would say is I don't think that the writers, um, when they did that scene and kind of closed it out, had any intention of ever going back there. There's no, like, you know, we've talked about, uh, you know, the... The, the, the white space in between the painted sections of the wall and, and how much story you can fit in there. I, I don't think the intention is that there's any like, oh, a missing, you know, two days or, or even like two hours. Uh, my, my impression was that it was like literally he met um, uh, the disappointing embodiment of Zeus in my mind. Uh, and then it immediately was sent back to to Storybrooke. Um, but that's not to say that as they're developing season six, it's like, oh, well, technically he could have been there a little bit longer and maybe we'll show a conversation between him and Hercules or, or something. So, or, so uh, yeah, coming back with a superpower, I hope not, but I, you know, we'll see what it is if that it does happen. But currently I don't think that we're going to be seeing any uh, flashbacks to Hook's time in Olympus. As, as I have to say right now that we kind of saw his time in Olympus. So Hook won't be in his own version of the five people you meet in heaven? No, he met. Well, he, he has four more to meet, apparently. So. <laughs> maybe maybe he did in those flashbacks. <laughs> they have to fill it in. Yeah. The thing that intrigues me most now is not even the fact that Hook spent some time up in Mountain Olympus, but the fact that we actually got a glimpse of heaven or at least this version of heaven in the Once Upon a Time universe. I mean, I know we had, again, we talked about the nether region that existed in uh, season two. I'm not talking about what Regina and, H- and uh, Hood were doing in the crypt last season, but uh, there was, we knew about the nether world, but otherwise we didn't know too much about like a heaven or a hell. We spent some time in the underworld. We, we got the whole sorting pit thing about when you, your final decision is made and you go to heaven or hell. I mean, now that we know that a higher being does exist there is this possibility that these characters could i don't know call upon zeus's power and use it though i'm assuming zeus will sort of have the mentality that actually uh, uh, an assortment of greek gods did at the time which was hey we have no business meddling in the rights of mortals let's just you know sit back relax eat some grapes even though other gods tended to use their powers for more nefarious purposes but i wonder if they're going to tend to use that approach and if they're going to use zeus as sort of a a an ace in their ace in the pocket in a way. It's like, oh, they're really in a tight situation. Oh, let's remember Zeus is is good with Hook, and so he's going to be able to help the heroes out this time. I think it's going to be really hard for the writers to do that and not have it seem again. Uh, you know, Deus Ex Machina Part Two, um, Volume uh, Two, Volume Two, <laughs> Twice uh, Ex Machina. Um, <laughs> I, I, it's I, I I think that they hopefully would realize that if they rely on that again, uh, that is going to rub a lot of people. Well, it would, I shouldn't say that I'm projecting. It would rub me the wrong way if they relied on that again, like literally, Oh, if things seem 
uh, completely hopeless for our heroes. And then Zeus comes down and saves them. I mean, you can only have that really, I think, happen once. I, I don't. And he was to, in some to some extent uh, repaying a favor there uh, to 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 the, the, the team as a whole by bringing Hook back. So I'm really hoping that we um, don't see that occurring. Um, not to say that Zeus couldn't come looking for a favor. Perhaps he can't meddle in the affairs of man, but there's something that he needs done. So he turns to the heroes of Storybrooke to do something that could possibly be. Uh, I'd have less issue with that. Yeah, it's like we we speculated about this with Hades amongst our many weeks of podcasting in this back half of, oh, is there a rule where Hades can't interact with can't necessarily get in the way of the heroes directly because they're you know they're not technically his citizens in the underworld so he has to kind of manipulate others to do so for him and it could be just a general rule of the gods that unless you're sort of in their plane of rule you're not allowed to to interact with them directly uh, yeah potentially i mean that was, i think that was one of the um the downsides of the back half of five for me was that for being a god and supposedly, uh, if not omnipotent, mostly omnipotent, uh, we he seemed to be handcuffed or at least restraining himself in terms of what uh, impact and what power hey, he could have. Don't talk about him and Delina's bedroom habits. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, and uh, so, it, so we, we, yeah, it, it's a little bit kind of uh, up in the air in terms of what the gods can technically do. Um, yeah, maybe because Hades wasn't in the underworld, Zeus uh, kind of took over control no matter what Cruella and King Arthur were thinking. Yeah, Zeus had the real power at that point, and he was able to, yeah, this one time I can do this, um, bring Hook back. I'm not, not really sure what, where things are going. So speaking towards season five as a whole, I'm going to combine questions here from Samantha Alexander and Nathan Bayliss. So for season five in general, Kurt, I want you to give me one a highlight and not, you know, of the hair salon variety. Two, a low light. And three, a storyline that intrigued you the most. So one and three don't necessarily need to be the same, but something you really enjoyed, something you really didn't like, and something that really intrigued you the most. Oh, boy. Well, for the for the low light, it's going to be more of a um, what didn't happen than what did happen. Uh, the seemingly sudden drop of interest in Lily and Maleficent came out of nowhere for me. And, you know, we've, we've, as much as I seem to have joked about, um, uh, you know, who's Lily's father that at the end of season four was the thing I was most looking forward to exploring is that they, they seem to drop this huge kind of hanging question at the end of season four, where Maleficent doesn't really know who Lily's father is because he was in the form of a dragon at the time. Uh, I thought for sure that was going to be something that was explored in, uh, in in season five and it was completely ignored if i had to pick something that did take place that i wasn't happy about it's like you know enough henry and violet that's something that permeated both halves you of the are season. squashing young love kurt you are crushing their hearts right now into dust Where, wherever i can um so i guess in terms of the thing that i uh, was like a highlight for me i kind of mentioned it before it was kind of you know bringing out of the woodwork these characters that we hadn't seen in a while and, and giving them a chance to explore uh, additional stories. This is a little bit of like a, an all-star season <laughs> yeah, or, or, you know, second, uh, it was second chances. Sec- yeah. Second chances, or at least, um, uh, uh, you know, the, the, 
going going back to the, the bench as opposed to your main hitters in terms of the uh, people that you kind of want to see again. Uh, so I think that was the thing that the, the, the highlight for me was revisiting uh, old characters. Um, again, as much as I didn't like Neverland, I did like Pan as a character, really enjoyed Pan as a character. And so it was nice to see, it was kind of nice to see like, oh, you got your chocolate and my peanut butter in terms of, oh, the one thing I liked about Neverland is now in a setting that I really like, the underworld. Uh, great, thank you. Um, and what was the third thing? The, uh, what, the What intrigued you the most? Gosh, um, what intrigued me the most? Uh, you know what? I, I think part of it was uh, as, as much as I didn't like, as I talked about the amnesia, uh, storyline, um, I was very intrigued by, and I mentioned it again earlier, I was really intrigued by Arthur as a villain. It was kind of a new take on something. Um, and so it was, was, was intrigued to see where that was going to go. And so like what depths his, 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 uh, villainy, not evilness, but his, uh, kind of his, his wannabe said, evilness. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like, and, and and it was interesting to see that it really wasn't that deep and it was all for like the love of kingdom and the love of Guinevere, even though he kind of like just went a little uh, sociopathic about it. So uh, that could potentially be it. How about you? So I would say a highlight for me, I mentioned it before, it was finding out that Hook was the other dark one. I'll once again say I think it's one of the best twists the show had done. I think it added and I really twisted the dagger in a way into the, the the slowly gaping wound that was the situation in season 5a and that oh now someone you thought that was on your side actually is a figure that possesses an unquestionable amount of dark power how is he going to utilize it even though we only explored it for like two episodes afterwards i thought that was a really fun idea and an absolutely great reveal as well even though i again i know you didn't like the amnesia portion of it i did like how it was revealed and how that's how we that's how we knew why emma wiped everyone's memory and you know how she caused everyone to come back home which was a big mystery since the end of the first episode uh low light for me is probably from the back half it's that one storyline where emma had that prophetic dream about mary margaret dying um and it turns out that oh she tried to prevent it but then it happened anyway but her mother didn't die ruby just ended up showing up i know this might lead to more repercussions and we discussed it on the podcast about like oh does this mean emma has new types of powers because we also talked about her conversation with neil before she went into the underworld where he was trying to warn her about things that possibly could have happened in the future but it seems like they did absolutely nothing with it uh so i i might put that as my number one though number two and number three could be like the Lily stuff, as you said, and also uh, Henry's speech at the fountain at the season finale was. <laughs> I completely blocked that. And that that's okay. That that's up there. Yeah, the um, uh, everybody clap if you believe in fairies type of a speech that uh, that that Henry gave in New York. Yeah, uh, yeah. No. Um, mm. So, and the thing that probably intrigued me the most, which might be a little bit of cheating, but I would say the revealed the land of untold stories has yes. at least been the thing that's been on my brain the most since we ended this season, just because you are opening up literally an entire world filled with characters to the brim of people that could possibly as as Hyde alluded to are coming in to interact with Storybrooke and just yeah. thinking about and we'll talk about this in a little bit the possibility of characters that could come in how they could interact with our heroes maybe some maybe you know they love to bring back people again they're sort of like the reality TV producers after bringing back people in the underworld they said oh yeah let's let's bring more characters back into the fold maybe this sort of gives another opportunity for the producers in terms of revisiting old characters but it was just an idea that 
really excited me and I feel like really pumped some gas into that season finale where it really set up a great future ahead of us. Yeah, if you ask me what I'm most looking forward to about season six, that's exactly what it is. Um, is is the idea of like ooh, which which characters from this land of untold stories did uh, uh, Mister Hyde you know, supposedly bring with him to this realm? Um, you know, is there a contingent of of kind of villains, or did he just kind of bring about a bunch of people? And there's some that are actually going to like Storybrooke and be useful people. You know, that that's going into season six. That's definitely the thing that I'm most intrigued about. I'm looking forward to. So Jessica Frey uh, threw out, I wouldn't even call it a theory, but just her thoughts on how each of these seasons kind of functions as a theme. So I just wanted to read it out and get your thoughts. So she says, I love looking back and being able to see a theme for the season. In season one, we had world building and Emma believing and all of that. Season two, the theme was magic is in Storybrooke. Season three was all about finding home, uh, which harkens back very much. I believe there's a season three episode called, you know, Lost Girl. Uh, season four was Emma's quote unquote teenage year. She was learning and embracing magic. Season five for me revolves around can the characters be both dark and light? I like the exploration of can magic be both good and bad? I like the idea moving forward of finding a way to balance good and dark magic. Merlin told Emma that one day there will be someone who is powerful enough to wield both dark and light magic. I think we see a literal picture of this concept of Jekyll and Hyde. So, Kurt, if you could come up with like a thesis statement of this season, would you agree with Jessica that it's about trying to figure out can someone possess qualities of both dark and light? Yeah, and I think we've talked about that a, a fair bit on the show, especially in terms of uh, Emma and Gold, or not Emma and Gold, sorry, Belle and um, and uh, and Gold. Um, in in terms of uh, dark light, do they exist? Is it about intention? Is it about actual outcome? Uh, the fact that you know it's there are, are shades of gray, or it's only one big shade of gray, and it's not as cut and and dry as we necessarily think it is. Uh, you know the fact that you know gold would do anything to uh, save his unborn child. Um, and, you know, Emma says, well, you can do this, but you can't do or that. I keep saying Emma. I apologize. Uh, Belle keeps saying, well, you can't use your magic. And he's like, well, you know, if I just use the magic to break into a locker, that's not harming anything. And, and she's got a double standard. So I, I, I for me, it's a little bit less of can there be good and can there be darkness? And it's more of a matter of uh, is there is there such a thing as good and good versus evil or is it all shades of gray? Um, again, it kind of goes back to how Hades was kind of treated. And again, I, I, I you know, I feel like, um, yeah, with Hades, we see this, one of the, the few characters in once upon a time who is able to fall you know, deeply in love and true love. If the, the result of the kiss is meant to with Zelina is meant to kind of imply anything. Um, and you see, this is one of the, the few characters that is, yes, evil, but yes, also in love and has these strong, passionate, positive feelings. So I think we got to we saw that there in season five, uh, it explored more of these depths of the borders between black and white. And, and that that's kind of what um, what how how I saw it. There's also, I think, a little bit more in the in the back half about um, having to deal with with loss and coming to terms uh, mm -hmm. with loss and and kind of the, the grieving process and uh, how you make a a 
the best out of a bad situation. Um, but I, I completely agree with Jessica that there was there was this exploration of black and white. I think for me, it was more focused on that, that the, but that border between the two. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think it's more so using one for almost the other purposes. I mean, you talk about how Gold and Bell had this argument before she went to sleep of, you know, Gold says, OK, I'm going to do this, but I'm going to do things my way. I'm, I can't do things the hero's way. And I know the first half of the season was associated with um, with Dark Swan bringing Gold out to say, like, OK, guess what? You're my prisoner now. We're going to make you be a hero. Uh, that way you can pull the sword from the stone. And it's almost like we found it was fitting a square peg into a round hole that, yes, Gold might have become a hero by, you know, defending Bell from Merida the Bear, but at the same time, he was still himself at the end of the day. He's still the person who absorbed all of the Dark One's energies from over the years so he could become the biggest Dark One ever and completely forego all the work he had been doing, which I know I was pretty infuriated with at the time, though. It informed at least an interesting back half in terms of the character. So... I think that that concept has actually been in play for longer than season five. I remember season four B was a lot of talk about Shades of Grey when it was dealing with the Queens of Darkness and do villains get happy endings? And sometimes you have people like Maleficent and Regina and Ursula who are more so tragic villains or misunderstood to use a weird term. Sometimes they're just Cruella who are bat poo crazy and figuring out, you know, how do you sort of cope with those different temperaments? Here I feel like more characters dealt with it. I mean, we saw both Bell and David pretty much in a way kill people by throwing them into the river of lost souls, or at least sending them into another world where they can no longer live peacefully. And we saw Bell grapple with that a little bit. David didn't seem to have that much of a problem with it, though maybe that speaks more towards David than it does towards the concept. But maybe it was because these characters were surrounded with, as you said, with more death and more loss around them. Uh, They started to think a little more about you know, how are we really utilizing our resources? And, you know, does, does the end justify the means? And I feel like going back to this character, characterization of Zelina that happened in season five is, is testament to that, in that I think she still is using dark magic, but now it seems like she's using them to further her own purposes, which in this case are at least aligned with the hero's purposes. Yeah, and I think, I think that the, 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 the journey of Zelina is, is more, I think, a, a story of redemption. Um, and And it's kind of a parallel story to what we saw with, with Regina. Uh, I think it's more the, uh, the, the people who are kind of trying to wrestle with the concept of, uh, outcome, like, uh, intention versus means versus journey versus destination. Uh, you know, you, you raise a good point, like, you know, David, you know, just because he, he, you know, kills somebody doesn't necessarily make him evil, uh, even though the act of killing, you know, could, should very, could very well be construed by some as, as, as evil. So, uh, it's, I think it's a, it, it really kind of muddies the waters between, uh, uh, good and bad for me is, is what more so than even, I think, it, like you said, it started a, a bit with the, uh, with the back half of season four. Um, for that one, uh, I did see a little bit of, of that as well. I think they, they it amped it up a notch uh, here in season five. So let's move on to our general season six discussion. Uh, Samantha Alexander asked, which character are you most looking forward to seeing next season? Uh, let's leave out the possibility of new characters for now, Kurt, just mm-hmm. in terms of our currently recurring cast that we know are coming back next season, which character or characters are you most excited to see? Um, 
Well, you say no that are coming back in terms of that aren't dead, like uh, like Hood. <laughs> yeah, so let's assume that okay. we, let's assume that nobody's coming back from the dead anymore. That we have our main cast, and I'll, I'll throw Jekyll and Hyde and Violet in there as well. But given just that group of people, are there any characters that you are excited to see? What possible storylines they might encounter in season six? A. Um. I don't know if we're going to see more of Ruby or Dorothy. I don't know if you count them as, as among the group. Um, here's the, here's the thing amongst the main characters. No, there's not. Um, there's there. I I'd say it's more the peripheral characters that I'm interested in if they get, uh, where their stories are necessarily going to go. So I don't know if we're going to see more Ruby or, or Dorothy. I don't know if we're going to visit the underworld and see King Arthur. I think we kind of talked about that last time and we're done with that. So I'd have to say that the, just because, uh, he's the newest character, I, I, I just kind of by default going to, to Mr. Hyde. I mean, yeah. um, if yeah, if I'm if I'm not allowed to talk about the uh, potential inclusion of new characters, uh, then I have to go with that. Yeah, I would agree. I think specifically what I'm really interested in is the Hyde Gold dynamic. I mean, it's very clear that Hyde not only has dealt with Mr. Gold in the past, but he knows that he has a weakness in the case of Bell and that he he took the Bell box in order to to barter with him. And it seems like and what I'm hoping for at least is that Hyde is much more gold's equal it seems like in the past with the exception of like maybe Zelina it seems like our heroes are fighting with the big bad but gold is like the all-powerful one who's just sort of watching in the corner taking nobody's side if he actually has a direct competitor that makes things a lot more interesting I didn't get the impression from the end of season five that Hyde is a direct competitor to gold I mean he tried to hold Bell's captivity uh over uh over him um or the, the fact that he, he knew a way to, to wake bell. Um, and gold just basically tried to force choke him and was succeeding until like, you know, Hyde re- can reveal that he has this information. So I, I do not actually see Hyde as a competitor for gold. I, I see him more as a, as an adversary, but if it was just basically going to come to down to a face to face, uh, fight gold has him hands down. Yeah. We'll have to see though. I mean, now that, he really Hyde is really in a world with magic. It'll be interesting to see if he does gain some sort of magical abilities, even though Jekyll is definitely the smarter one of the two, how that will compare. And the Jekyll Hyde relationship will be interesting as well. I mean, is there sort of like a Harry Potter Voldemort connection with them in terms of, you know, or a twin connection in that if one person feels pain, the other one feels it too. Yeah. I'm not, not sure. Um, cause I, we do, I think we're, we're led to believe that, um, uh, Hyde is incredibly strong and we did see uh, uh, I believe he was blasted with some magic uh, and, and absorbed it um, mm-hmm. but uh, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty confident that gold would take him easily all right we'll see in the the match of the century you know Macchio Payweather or whatever their names are get out of here <laughs> Uh, that is just shows my aptitude of sports knowledge. I'll be watching a lot of boxing, so I won't have to bungle any more boxers' names in the fall. There you go. Mayweather, that's his name. There you go. Pacquiao Mayweather. I, yes, I, yes. I mixed up the, uh, the assonance on that. Uh, so we got a bunch of interesting questions from SMY247. So I'm going to start reading them off here. Uh, with the imagery and plot elements in the season finale involving the physical separation of a person's good and evil selves between Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and Regina slash Evil Queen, is this a setup for all the main players in Storybrooke to somehow get injected with Jekyll's serum? 
or perhaps inhale it in a gaseous form, and do one-on-one battle against their quote-unquote evil doppelgangers? Or would this be a retread slash rehash of the David and James subplot in The Underworld? If the show goes this route, I think it would be more intriguing if all the evil doppelgangers teamed up against the heroes for a better and more prolonged conflict rather than having individual one-on-one combats. What do you guys think? Is this doppelganger battle royale inevitable? Kurt, oh. I, t- I talk it's just flat out no? No, it's not. In- well, no, it's not inevitable. Um, short answer. Longer answer. I think it could be interesting, but I think it would last about as long as the spell of shattered sight. I think you might see this happen like uh, at the end of an episode and then and then the entire following episode is dealt with doppelganger wars uh, and then but is resolved by the end of it. So I don't think that this is going to be anything that is prolonged. Uh, It could be it could be interesting for an episode or two although you know what if it depends on how it's approached you know i could actually see it potentially being part of uh mr hyde's master plan is uh get each of these people alone inject them bring out their evil side and then together all of us evil siders take over storybook but i also don't get the sense that that's something that he wants to do he doesn't necessarily want to share um so, and again, we don't really know what his purpose is. I think he just wanted to, he just didn't like being trapped in the land of forgotten stories. And now he's in a place, he's finally out of there. Um, although the land looked actually pretty neat. Wouldn't mind checking that out. It looked, looked very crowded. And, I, you know, we both live yeah. in metropolitan areas. I think we're used to that. But I can imagine it being a little aggravating. Yeah. Um, so the, uh, so again, I don't think it's inevitable I actually don't think it's going to happen. Um, if it did, I don't see it happening for more than an episode or so. Uh, but I think it could potentially be an interesting episode. Yeah, I mean, I, I joked a little bit at the end of our finale recap about how this whole Regina evil queen separation now sets up like its own evil twin dynamic. I would not expect the writers to make this a big thing that, oh no, now everyone's battling their inner demons. I know they like to do that sometimes. I mean, there was the, you know, Neverland did it a lot. What with the the cavern where it builds a bridge every time you admit something that you haven't told anyone before or the tree that feeds on your insecurities. It seems like they really like to set that type of stuff up. But I don't know, something about the idea of a bunch of our heroes lining up to battle their evil doppelgangers really does not scream once upon a time to me. It screams more so a superhero film. I know I'm, I'm picturing the poster for the you know, Captain America Civil War. where you've got the people kind of lined up on either side of it or you're ready to charge at each other. Um, so yeah, it, it doesn't feel uh, on uh, on point to me in terms of uh, on, on script to me for, or, for once upon a time or once upon a time civil war involve I don't know like Emma saying okay I need to go to the government put a limit on magic and then Regina saying no screw you yes um, but the, the, the thing again the, the thing that I felt was maybe a missed opportunity where they how they handled Regina's doppelganger literally evil twin was I had was kind of hoping that if you removed like evil queen from Regina, that it might be actually a different actress that, that it's like the, the truly evil side is, is somehow like, like, like Jekyll and Hyde. Exactly. Exactly. I think that's what made me think, you know, because Jekyll and Hyde, you know, and, and even at one point, uh, Dr. Jekyll says it's your evil side, your dark side is, uh, kind of what, um, uh, how you imagine it. And so, and so in, 
it's not necessarily going to be you know played by a different actor or actress but i think that could be the doppelganger thing could be potentially interesting if you literally have uh i mean to have uh, you know split screens with, with uh, so many characters would be so annoying so quickly it's like, a, but if it's like you, the amazing race yeah yeah uh if, if you had different actors playing like the dark side of of uh uh well, the thing is, thing is, we've explored the dark side of so many of these characters already, mm-hmm. and so and and so it's like nothing new. It's just going retreading what we've done. Yeah, However, we, we, we've pretty much seen evil qualities of all of these characters. Yeah. So I mean, literally, David had an evil twin that he yeah. threw into the river. We've already explored these <laughs> yeah. facets before. So again, but, I'm a little trepidatious about the whole Regina evil queen thing, as deliciously evil as the evil queen may be. But I have enough trust in the producers at this point that they will not turn it into something as schlocky as an evil twin storyline from a soap opera. How would you feel? Um, and I'm sure I'm not the first fan to hear to, to, to suggest this. Do you think that a potential solution for the Bell Gold storyline is for gold to be split into? Well, that's an interesting question I was about to ask because Ori Kohav, always great contributor to the feedback here on Post Show Recaps, basically outlined his idea that I think it's imminent to split up gold and Rumpelstiltskin inside of him. If there's one character that I think the serum will be used on i feel like it's going to be him especially because this entire past season was him trying to become a hero and become the person that bell wants him to be but then he ends up just becoming himself at the end of the day yeah um again then that goes back to you know jessica Frey's whole point about good versus evil i mean as much as i want to say that uh uh it's it's really this huge sea of gray and not these distinct islands of 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 black and white um or good and evil uh that you know the fact that jekyll that there is this serum um that that jekyll had a dark side in mr hyde and there was a serum that was able to split into two extreme polar uh very binary uh opposites uh does argue for the fact that there is uh a, a dark side and a light side um you know that that you know, let's not go down the rabbit hole uh, of uh, seeing if these are going to be a, a use of the force in the dark side and the light side. Ooh, who uh, will I, be the rogue one? Oh, my goodness. Uh, if there's any Midchlorians in uh, season six, I might have to like boycott. Yeah, the rest Do- of the- Dr. Whale's going to pull Emma aside and say, oh, no wonder why you're so magical. All of a sudden, your Midichlorian levels are off the charts. <laughs> That's what the serum was made of was was just is concentrated Midichlorian. Yes. And all the, um, all the babies turn out to be called younglings and they get the convent turns into a magic academy. Oh, God. Um so I, I, I don't see it again happening with all of the characters, but I can see it potentially happening with gold. Um, I think I'd be okay with that actually. Yeah. Like let's, let's, let's get us, let's, let's not keep retreading the whole, uh, the whole thing and let, let's, you know, potentially split them up and, and see where, where, what Bell thinks of that. Amen. Actually, I mean, if I, if the, I would add something to the low lights of season five was that we kept going back to the well of, well, Gold and Bell are back together, but oh no, he reveals that he lied to her about something. Now she's through with him, but now they're back together again. I feel like we're doing this a few times too many, guys. So I agree. This is an opportunity to really kind of squash that entire yeah. uh, element of that relationship. I'm totally fine with it. Bring on the serum. We're one Marcel the Flying Monkey away from them being the Ross and Rachel of Once Upon a Time. We were on a break! <laughs> exactly. Uh, so SMY asks, from an episodic perspective for season six, do you think the show will cover one classic literature character slash storyline per episode, 
Or would this be a foolish decision on the show's part by burning through potentially valuable literary material way too fast? So I know season 5B, we talked a little bit about how for some episodes there kind of was almost like a soul of the week and yeah. that an old character would walk in and our, our heroes would help them either go from one place one place or the other or even sometimes the river. But they're, 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 their storyline usually seems to be resolved by the end of that episode. With a slew of possible new characters coming our way in season 6, do you think the show should adopt this new almost like a season one-esque model of bringing someone new in every episode for our heroes to interact with do you think they should stick with let's just stick with an overarching plot and just bring in characters sporadically um somewhere in between i I, here's what i what i would hate to see as much as i would like to see new characters introduced what i would hate to see is what the um and so one thing I did not enjoy about the underworld was, you know, how quickly people came in and out. Like it was great to see Gaston again. It was great to see uh, Hercules and Meg for the first time. Um, but to then have them completely be isolated to a single episode uh, and then be kind of parted with uh, didn't really do it for me. I mean, so I would love to see the introduction of new characters, but I think handling it in an episodic manner would be the wrong way to go. I don't know if it's that you introduce, um, it's basically just kind of introduce character, new characters throughout and have like uh, someone might have a one episode story arc. Uh, somebody who was introduced the week before the person with the one episode story arc might have a four episode story arc. But I, I think you want to kind of weave them into the ongoing storylines and have them uh, either stick around or fade into the background or make an exit as is appropriate. But I think to have it pop in, pop out, and never see them again uh, would be it, – it almost feels – too uh too rote uh and and too uh um uh uh forced almost i'm trying to there's, there's a word that i'm searching for and completely failing. shoehorned yeah shoehorned um it, it just kind of the assembly line into kind of cookie cutter in terms of like how mm-hmm. they're approach how they're approaching it so um again we saw in, in the in the, the volume two of the storybook we saw gulliver we saw don quixote we saw paul bunyan the three musketeers I, I, I know were in the land of untold stories as they were walking through as well yeah the it's it's you don't want to necessarily see them uh appear in one and be out the same one that's if the, if that's what is being um asked i think that would be a bad idea i'd 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 enjoy it more than not getting any story uh additional characters in but i think it would i'd enjoy it much more if there was a found a, a way to integrate them more fluidly than to have them kind of be in and out in a single episode first off i'll say i think the producers are bringing in characters on mass i mean let's remember i know you didn't check out the promotional material on purpose for the 100th episode kurt but in the materials leading up to season 5b it was all about this person's coming back and this person will be back and this person will be back so i could totally imagine once they really start filming summer marketing being like it's all your favorites don quixote the three musketeers <laughs> paul bunyan they're here in storybrook what's gonna happen next yeah so i can I, I can totally imagine the the producers buying into temptation and totally bringing in as many characters as they want but it was more the familiar um the bigger name characters like for instance the way they handled Cruella and Pan in, in terms of being characters, well, I think more so Cruella than Pan because Pan like popped up in one episode, was gone, and then he was back again at the end. But the way they yeah, kind of he, handled, he popped and then he popped again. <laughs> yeah. Um, so like the way they handled Cruella, I think was really well done in terms of they bring her back and she's kind of featured throughout. But like the characters that you you we never had seen Hercules and Meg before in and out in a single episode. We really didn't see much of Gaston before. Like very very. We very saw literally briefly. two scenes with Gaston in season one. Yeah. 
Yeah. Same thing and, with and, the blind witch, arguably. And true. Yeah. And, and those, the, and, um, Gaston, you know, in and out in a single episode. Um, uh, so it, I'm, I'm hoping they handle it a little bit more like Cruella than they did Hercules and Mech. Well, I think um, I, I would and, and they were able and they were able to do it, though, because like I think she was a um, uh, she was a longer lasting character. She was an enduring presence in the back half of season four. So in terms of how they handle new characters, uh, I'm hoping that they go more the route of uh, of Cruella or the Blind Witch uh, than they do Gaston and Meg and Hercules. I would say that I think they're going, if we're comparing the way they handle these characters in season one and season five B, I'm going to go with season one just because we also don't know a method of, you know, with season five B, people were able to be expunged via either direction in this sorting pit. In season six A, there really is no way to like send these people back to the land of untold stories unless they, they somehow create a way for people to do that. These characters are going to be out and about the town the entire time. So True. I can just imagine from the outset, this is going to be much more of a season one temperament where these characters are just sort of there and they'll pop in and out of prominence as well, though. It kind of sucks if we're comparing it to season one and now the fact that these people are also probably taking screen time away from the actual characters that existed and probably yeah. still exist in that town in season one. Uh, but that being said, I I would imagine that they would want to go in that direction rather than saying like, Don Quixote will come in the, into the picture this episode and then he'll jump to the magical hat that will take them back to the land of untold stories by the end of it. True. Yeah, it's uh it's it's interesting. I, and I hope that they also don't feel obligated to give us a flashback backstory on every new character from the land of untold stories that we encounter. I mean, let's embrace the fact that they're from the land of untold stories and pretend that they don't have a backstory necessarily. Um, I mean, do it where it's necessary. Um, but don't do it just to show that this person has a background. Don't feel obligated to have every time a new character is introduced to have to also shoehorn their backstory into the same episode. Sometimes it doesn't, it just doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. Going along that line, SMY asks, with Regina and Zelina losing their boyfriends in season five, what do you forecast for the romantic arcs, if any, in season six? Do you think anyone coming through the portal from the land of untold stories could be prospective romantic interests for them? Which famous literary characters would create the most intriguing pairing slash couples with these women? So let's take this and then we'll expand outwards more so. Here's where we can make our, our calls about which you know literary characters we'd like to see interact with these characters. But are there any in mind, Kurt, that you can think of that... First of all, do you imagine Regina slash Alina would find any OTPs anytime soon? If so, are there any characters from literature that you think would pair well with them? <laughs> like a, a fine red wine? Yes, exactly. Um, what what pairs well with uh, a, a nice green <laughs> salad? Um, is that Zelina? That's Zelina. And I guess Regina <laughs> okay. would be... Um, mm. Apple pie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the, uh, the apple turnover, the poison one. Yes. Um, well, first of all, I'll go wasn't the question that was asked i could see mr hyde and evil queen getting together oh i like that that might be my otp um, but I, I it's it's too soon for both zelina and regina so i don't actually see it happening definitely not for regina uh no, regina, she, regina's got her own stuff to deal with she's got to deal with her a shell of her evil self walking around <laughs> causing destruction she's got she doesn't have time for any man and she and she's in the morning period over hood. So it's just it's not going to make sense for her to, to to join up with anybody. I think Zelina's going to be um, a little bit uh, burned by Hades. Uh, no pun intended. Um, 
Yeah, uh, when he turned to dust, that was pretty hot and temperature-wise. Uh, yeah, the... Uh, so I, I can't, I don't necessarily see her, uh, even, you know, exploring that route. Um, it would be it's particularly interesting though, if, if Regina and Dr. Jekyll got a thing going on, especially if Mr. Hyde and evil Regina got something going on, that'd be a little bit like a nice uh, double know, date. Yeah. Siblings dating. Uh, I, I don't see there being any connection between Dr. Jekyll and Regina. Um, in, in terms of who, you know, if the Jolly Green Giant is in, in, in the picture, maybe that's something Zelina would go for just as a rebound. Well, we have to, and I also have to think about in terms of Zelina, like she, what she found attractive in Hades was the fact that they both kind of bond over the fact that they felt spurned by their siblings. So I'm trying to think about a literary character who feels jealous towards their siblings. Maybe it's, you know, that biblical parable about the two brothers. Maybe, maybe if they come into the picture, maybe Zelina can fall in love with him. Yeah, or um, you know, one of the one of the franchises that uh, we we haven't uh, one of the franchises we haven't explored is the Hunchback of Notre Dame, mm. or Notre, and, and you know, I could see uh, a a very uh, charismatic Quasimodo uh, potentially being a a character that Zelina could could go for in terms of he was like kind of shunned by society, um, especially for how he looked. And, you know, she had the green skin. I don't know. That wasn't necessarily, you know, people didn't like her cause she was evil, not cause she was green. Um, uh, you know, I'm not going to go dip into wicked territory here, but, uh, the, yeah, maybe, maybe that's an option for her. Yeah. I'd be shipping quasi Lena. Wow. <laughs> uh, so let's, let's expand this a little bit, Kurt. Are there any public domain tales slash characters? You spoke about a few of them beforehand that you would really like to see come to the the screen this fall. Um, any public domain characters? Yeah, let's 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 stay in that realm for now. Yeah. Um. It's one of those things where I don't know what I don't know. I'd almost have to see, like, uh, like see a, a massive list in front of me and be able to say, oh, you know what? This would be intriguing. This would be intriguing. Um, uh, it, it's hard for me to say. Uh, I am I am intrigued uh, from, from what we have seen. If they do, I think of the characters we have seen, I am the most intrigued to see if they do explore further Paul Bunyan. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, I, I think that could be uh, v- potentially very, very interesting. Um, so, so actually, to help you along, let me actually, I'm on TV Tropes right now. Let me read off to you what they have listed as uh, some public domain stories. And if any stick out to you, just stop me. Okay. Uh, so interestingly enough, it starts off with Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, which sort of been there, I, I, done that. I, yeah, I almost, I almost mentioned that. <laughs> uh, the Art of War, we could see Sung Tzu there. Uh, the Bible, which I had mentioned before. Beowulf. Uh, the Canterbury Tales, Candide, uh, Gulliver's Travels. We saw that before. Hunchback of Notre Dame, you mentioned before. The Iliad. Uh, interestingly enough, the first five books of John Carter of Mars. Uh, so maybe we'll see some Martians there. Uh, the Kama Sutra is public domain. <laughs> uh, so again, Basic Cable Once Upon a Time would be all over that. Interestingly enough, King Arthur and anything related to the Holy Grail. Uh, the first 16 books in the Land of Oz series. Uh, the Odyssey, Paul Bunyan, Peter Pan, Pride and Prejudice, Robin Hood, Sense and Sensibility, uh, all the works of William Shakespeare, War and Peace, and William well, Tell. You know what? Actually, Shakespeare could get interesting. Um, I, I, so I, I, that, that could potentially be 
interesting. I mean, in terms of Romeo and Juliet as characters, uh, in terms of uh, Hamlet, um, it, and, and going for some of the the, the deeper cuts, uh, King Lear's daughters would be a real hoot. Um, the ones that are still alive. Yeah, um, uh, you know, so I, th- I think that 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 could potentially uh, go to an interesting place. I mean, um, what was it? The the librarians on uh, TNT uh, uh, kind of explored that a little bit. They had, um, I believe, it was uh, what was the name of the 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 wizard from the um, the Tempest? Um, oh, uh, Prospero. Prospero. I believe Prospero was a kind of a villain in that. Um, so potentially uh, retreading some, some, yeah, it will, in that, in that most recent season of the librarians, they explored uh, Moriarty from Sherlock Holmes and Prospero as, as villains and bringing in other story characters like here and there. Um, but I think a, a Shakespearean twist could potentially be interesting. Oh yeah. Which, uh, Midsummer Night's Dream was, I think the, the thing that was very top of mind. I just couldn't put words to in terms of Puck or, or uh, uh, Oberon, or t- Oberon. Yeah. yeah or, Titania. Yeah. Yeah. Or even some of the normies in there in terms of like Lysander and uh, Demetrius or, or, or you know, Hermes. Exactly. So yeah. I, I, I guess Shakespeare would be one of the interesting ones. But you do have like the, uh, the tall tales along the lines of, of Paul Bunyan. Um, uh, it's, there's, I don't think that's really like um, the, uh, uh, Casey Jones at at the bat or uh uh you know John John just, could you imagine him coming out of the portal and just be like well I I get struck out that's all that's all my power is guys I can't really yeah. help I can I, I can only strike out yeah like if they they put up uh uh they 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 rebuild something he's like well you built it I came I'm Casey Jones I don't know um so I, yeah, but yeah Shakespeare Wait, are, you, are you talking about just, Kevin I, are you talking about the character from uh, Field of Dreams <laughs> I'm I'm saying that all baseball players will come if you build something. That's that's how I was connecting the the, the Casey Jones and Storybrooke. Um, so yes, it was kind of an amalgamation of of Field of Dreams. Uh, if you build it, they will come. Casey Jones being a uh, you know from the the poem Casey at the Bat, him coming if they built something, blah blah blah. So, uh, but yeah, I'm going to go with Shakespeare. Let's bring let's bring some Shakespearean characters in this. Yeah, uh, first of all, I, I don't know if you're referring to Casey Jones, the engineer, or Casey Jones, the character from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but I guess I'd be happy to see both. Uh, I like I like the Shakespeare. I mean, again, that's the theater nerd in me, but there are so many, there's such a rich tapestry of characters, though, again, if we're talking about darker themes, a lot of those non-comedy plays involve a lot of murder and just really dark stuff going on in there. Like, could you imagine, like, the entire character from Titus Andronicus just crossing over and interacting with these people. I, it would be a very bloodied story, Brooke, to say the least. Um, I mean, if I could harbor a guess, I'm going to imagine that there's going to be some sort of iteration of Sherlock Holmes that we're going to see. I know sexy Sherlock Holmes seems to be the, all the rage nowadays. And I think we're going to see once upon a time's take on it. Uh, I don't given. Uh, <sighs> Given that there's Elementary and Sherlock and um, uh, and now you know Houdini and Doyle and Fox, um, I I I as much as I like the concept of Sherlock Holmes, I don't necessarily see it going that route myself. All right, so let's move into some more uh, miscellaneous freeform questions here. 
Rachel asks, the baby population is getting way too high in Storybrooke. We have baby Neil, baby Robin, and a baby Gold on the way. Is the show going to just ignore them, or is there going to be some sort of time jump or something that will lead to them actually becoming characters? Kurt, will we get to see Once Upon a Time, the next generation anytime soon? <laughs> um, there was actually the, the concept of the time jump was actually something that I was thinking about earlier this season. Like I was, I was wondering if that was going to potentially be a twist where we suddenly see a grown up Prince Neil, um, not so much yet, uh, uh, baby Robin and obviously not yet baby gold. Um, I don't necessarily see it happening, but I wouldn't be against it. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's always a roll of the dice with these kid actors on this show anyway. I don't know if we want to take our chances by having more kid actors in there, but it could be interesting. You know, the oh. end of season 3A was something that I think a lot of us argue could serve as the series finale when Emma and Henry leave, and then six months later, they get the call from Hook. I could totally imagine like another one of those situations happening, and then, like I don't know, 10 years passes, and then all, all our people come back to Storybrooke, and now all the kids are, are fervent. <laughs> is it become like wayward brook yes <laughs> exactly all the kids take over no i wasn't thinking like a uh, kid actors i was thinking more like they they time warp and it becomes more like hercules age in terms of uh late teens early 20s so that they can actually become like uh interesting characters and decent actors so l-u-a-t high uh, or the college years <laughs> the call boy yeah let's just skip high school entirely because that's probably the most if henry's any indication that's going to be a very awkward period in general Yes. Like unless you can get a bunch of um, uh, act, uh, young actors with the, the, the talent of, you know, young Snow White, um, uh, that could potentially be interesting. But just what we've seen of Violet and Henry, it's like if you're going to time warp the kids into an older version of themselves uh, so that they can actually kind of play a role in what's going on other than to be villain bait, uh, then let's uh, let's get them into their late teens and early 20s. Let's 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 give them some uh, little bit of meatier substance there. If only Once Upon a Time aired on Fox, there'd be so much synergy with Wayward Pines. They'd be doing the time warp with the Rocky Horror Picture Show that's airing this October. There'd be oh, so boy. much there'd be so much energy synergy that would be going on. Uh, speaking Could, of, oh, go ahead. I'm I'm I'm, I'm going to put a family tree question to you. Is it can Prince Neil and young Robin um, uh, 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 get into a relationship? All is right. there well? How does how does that get tangled up? Given that Zelina is actually the father, the mother of young Robin. Well, I mean, there's also like a weird the, the, this, as you said this this family tree is so nodded in its branches i mean you even have emma and hook being together i mean she was you know the there's so much complication that, i mean they even uh lampshaded it when they first met mila about you know how he's dating how emma had dated both her former lover and her son so i feel like there's just so much complication between but, these family trees that they i feel like they would just want to crumple it up and throw it out the window and say you know what yeah if you, if you two want to date you can date but in that case, that was more of a, uh, you know, you know, who's, who's hooked up with who I'm trying to think of that. So Zelina and Regina are blood related. Yes. They're, uh, they're half sisters. Uh, so, um, uh, if we look at Neil is snow's, uh, Neil is snow's son, snow and Regina aren't related by blood. No, she was just her stepmother. So, uh, but, um, Henry, Emma, 
And uh, uh, I think it's okay. I'm going to give. I think the, it's fun. I think I'm going to green think you, light it. Yeah, I think you stu- we're, you're going to Samoa. Uh, I think we just that <laughs> Zanzu. Uh, yeah, or yeah, or what can we say? I guess you're going to you're going to Mount Olympus. I guess that's where we're going to send this concept. I think you you struck upon the key connection there in the fact that Snow White and Regina aren't necessarily related. They more so lived in the same household, but it'll make things it might make things awkward, but it's not technically incestuous. And I can't believe we are actually talking about this on this type of show. But this is the type of show that sort of gives us these proclivities. Because well, if they, I'm saying, if they turned Prince Neil and Young Robin into again late teens, early twenty somethings, I could see a natural storyline developing. This is, and this is why my question went in that direction. Yeah, I could see uh, there being a, oh, uh, you know, the falling for each other, blah blah blah. Again, that's only if there's a whole time warp thing. Um, but I was like, wait, if it goes that direction, is that actually kosher? And I think it is. So I'm just going to drop it. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, speaking towards time travel, though, we are not out of the woods yet, both on Game of Thrones and Once Upon a Time. Are we into the woods? We are into the woods and home before dark, hopefully. Kay asks, what if Roland goes back into the Enchanted Forest, goes on crazy adventures and ages up to an adult the next time we see him, and he looks exactly like his father? Then Regina and adult Roland, also played by Sean McGuire, could have a happy ending. I know, gross. But hey, they already have a crazy family tree that this would fit right in. Thoughts? So let's continue along this line of really screwed up relationships on this show Kurt what do you if Robin Hood or Roland disappeared into the Enchanted Forest which and then spent an inordinate amount of time there grew muscly and strong a la the Gaston from Beauty and the Beast not from Once Upon a Time and he comes back and him and Regina romance each other and he also happens to be played by Sean McGuire on a scale of 1 to 10 how screwed up is that relationship 22 that's not gonna have here's the thing is that we've seen that age gaps despite for instance age gaps despite actual visual cues for age uh do exist so i believe that regina would still view the return of roland as the son of her former lover, no matter how old he looked. We see Henry referring to uh, David as grandpa. We see Emma still referring to Mary Margaret and David as mom and dad. So there is a respect for the natural order of things in Storybrooke. So I, that would not happen. Yeah, I think, Kay, this might have been taken one step too far, especially having it be played by the same actor, I feel like makes it a little too eerie. Uh, have, also having a son grow up to be the exact same look as his father would be a little strange. Yeah. It's almost as if they, we didn't want to remember that Marion existed whatsoever. So, sorry, Kay, I guess we're setting this, uh, this idea. It's not going to a Mount Olympus. Like it's, it's going to the other place. <laughs> yeah. we're, not, um, we're not shipping Rolina. <laughs> no, no Rolina. Quasi-Lina, not Rolina. Uh, so, uh, yeah. S- SMY asks, what do you think is the show's ultimate endgame for Mr. Gold? Perhaps not all villains can take a turn to the light side like Regina has, so is Mr. Gold going down the tragic anti-hero path a la Walter White, Tony Soprano, Frank Underwood, etc.? So I-, I-, I find the-, the comparisons to these other anti-heroes pretty fascinating, because I don't know if I want to include Rumpelstiltskin in there as well, but <laughs> we talked a little bit about how kind of weird, twisty-turvy they've gone with Rumpel's character, and I feel like Pretty much with the other heroes' characters, and you might take some exception to this, but I feel like with the other heroes, the, their creators pretty much know what they're doing with them and where they want to take them. Gold has gone down so many different paths. It seems like he's just navigating a much more complicated maze than the other characters at this point. 
how do you think gold's going to exit this maze i mean do you think he's going to go out in a blaze of glory will he end in here will he end a hero will he just end up in, a, in the place where he started do you have any general thoughts about that in terms of how his storyline is going to conclude even if that potentially is at the end of the series yeah um let's just you that he is yeah he does go down multiple paths but he seems to always end up in the same place like he's kind of in the same place now that he was in season one um again like unless they split him up it's just like if you destroy a uh gold in his machinations um that it's like well you need like a new bigger bad to kind of move in and i just there's really nothing glinting on the horizon in terms of what that would potentially be um you 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 potentially would have had it in hades i mean here's a a deity who is uh you know even though in traditional greek myth he was just a god of the underworld he wasn't evil um you know he this was potentially a a big villain that could have taken on gold um if it wasn't for the uh, Olympian crystal Cox. Um, so gosh, I, how it potentially ends up. It's uh, the only thing I can, th- it's going to go. Well, this isn't really going to answer the question. It's going to go one of two ways. Either he becomes completely redeemed and gives up dark one status, in which case, and, and the dark one uh, role is somehow completely banished from existence. Um, or he's going to go out in a blaze of glory, uh, saving uh, those he, uh, in a positive way, kind of sacrificing himself despite being the dark one. But he, so, uh, he already did that, Kurt. He did that with Peter Pan when he supposedly killed himself to save everybody from Pan's evil. And then they brought him back again. And then they made him evil again. I totally agree with you that like that would be an optimal way to take him out. Yeah. But the fact that they've already done that and still not resolved it on that note, I think it speaks volumes. That's a good, that's, that's, that's a good point. Um, Oh, it's I, I just I just whichever way it is, I don't see the series continuing on uh, without gold as primary uh, protagonist. I mean, I'm going to make I don't know if this is a, a hot take. I don't know if it's burning Zelina at this point, but uh, I would say that I think the series is going to end with Golden Bell together. I think that the series is so into the idea of happy endings that they are not going to break the couple up. Maybe they'll kill one off now that Robin's dead. Anything goes with this type of stuff, but I could totally imagine the two of them making it to the end of the series and staying together. That being said, you made the point before that every time it seems like we sort of deviate from the middle, we always end up snapping back to the middle path anyway, in terms of this character. I feel like he honestly might end the show as he started. He'll, you know, everyone will be cheering and applauding and celebrating, and he'll just sort of there'll be a close up on him as he slinks into the corner of Granny's, into the recesses of the darkness, and nobody will really pay attention to him. And I could totally imagine the series ending on it. And I might be fine with it because, again, that's sort of the character he's sort of been all along, with the exception of those few times when they tried to make him lighter or darker than he normally is. I think that they don't necessarily have an end game plan for him. But that being said, I don't think that it's going to involve him doing anything necessarily heroic or villainous. Yeah, it could, it could very well be. It's, I, I mean, it's one of those things where I don't know what I don't know in terms of if I could have a huge blind spot in terms of, uh, a villain that could supersede him and take his place. Um, but I, I just honestly, I don't, I don't see the series ending with him being the uh, dark one in the role of the dark one. He'll either be uh civilian Rumpelstiltskin or he'll be dead. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Bold predictions. I guess we'll see if and when Once Upon a Time ends, what the status of Mr. Gold will be. Uh, so Nathan Bayless provided us with a myriad of games to play, but for the sake of time, I'm, I'm only interested in a couple of them, and maybe we'll we'll revisit them perhaps before Season 6 begins. Uh, we have a game here. It's not really a game as much as a question. He calls Doctor Who. Uh, Kurt, are there any chances that we're going to see either Dr. Hopper or Dr. Whale this season, knowing that Dr. Jekyll is now on the table? Um, you know what? This is going to sound strange. It's it's like we, we know in terms of Dr. Whale, um, I'm hoping we do. I believe, uh, is that, uh, is that Peter Anders that plays him? Uh, is, uh Dave, you know, David, David Anders, I think it's David Anders. Um, uh, he's, he has a role in I zombie now, correct? Yes. Uh, but hence um, the, hence the die job that he had when he appeared in season five. A. Yeah. Um, I think what I'm intrigued by is I actually am intrigued by the backstory of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, because we we've heard that, uh, the land of forgotten stories is not the original world that he's from. They are trapped there. They want a way out. That's his whole goal. That's the whole goal probably of many of the folks that are, are in the land of forgotten stories. So he comes from another world. If we get flashbacks to that world and it turns out that that world is a black and white world, then I could definitely see us having, if we see Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde flashbacks, I could very well see a role for Dr. Whale. It might not be a, um, current day role in storybook for Dr. Whale, but I think he would be Dr. Whale as Dr. Frankenstein back in that realm. I still really am kind of in love with the idea of a black and white world that is populated by uh, kind of horror slash thriller entities. Um, uh, we saw in this, this in fact, we, you know, we saw even in, in, at the end of season five, the invisible man. I don't know if you saw him in the corner. He was standing. <laughs> well, I, I didn't know. Well, I didn't technically. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, uh, okay. I, I, I wasn't putting on my glasses <laughs> at the time. So I wasn't they, able to, he wasn't wearing his overcoat and hat. No, 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 no. It was very, uh, uh, emperor's new clothes, but, uh, yeah. Um, so no, it's, I, so I could definitely see Dr. Whale. I think we've kind of, the the book has been written as it were on, on Dr. Hopper. I don't think we're going to necessarily see more of him, but I could definitely see a role for, for Dr. Whale, at least in a, a Hyde Jekyll flashback. Yeah, that'd be fun. That'd I be think, fun. I think after season two, somebody took a can of raid to Archie's storyline, because I think that bug has unfortunately been exterminated. Even though I, I think we did see Pongo uh, a couple of seasons ago, I believe during season four, I, I don't know if they're going to bring Archie back. And if they did, what would he do? How would he interact with them? He doesn't, he doesn't know these people. Whereas I think Dr. Whale definitely stands a better chance of appearing. Like you said, there might be more connection to the black and white world, or they might even do what they did in season five a, and just have, you know, him appear for a, a cameo. I mean, Bell still needs to give birth. He, he was there for Zelina's birth. Maybe, maybe he'll appear again to serve as the OBGYN. That's true. Although I think, I mean, I think we're equally as likely to suddenly see a new doctor step forth from the land of forgotten stories. I don't, Dr. Zhivago. No, I don't, I don't oh, know. Um, <laughs> Dr. Moreau. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that would be awesome. And okay. That was like, you know, let's bring like a, you know, Lord of the flies in from the land of forgotten <laughs> yeah. stories. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, or, uh, um, no, Van Helsing. I wasn't a doctor. I don't believe. 
Um, yeah, sorry, uh, branching off, but I could potentially, I, yes, he might come back and serve as the, the one time OBGYN for, for Bell. Uh, at the same time, I, I, I do think it'd be interesting to get a fill that vacancy from somebody in the land of forgotten stories that we're just not necessarily thinking. Well, Dr. Jekyll, we've got a doctor. Yeah, we've got a doctor. We can also have Dr. Doolittle appear and imagine if, if Corella oh. was still alive, him and Corella could square off in terms of controlling the animals. You know, Dr. Doolittle is uh, one that I think you, you could potentially, uh, I would not be surprised if there was, if was, I don't expect it, but I also wouldn't be surprised. Eddie that. Murphy comes back to television I in would, the role of a lifetime. Dr. Eddie, Doolittle. Eddie Murphy plays every single character from the land of forgotten stories. Oh my God. If they really had to cut corners for season six, I think film it in a back lot instead of in Vancouver <laughs> and use Eddie Murphy to play all the characters. The return of Hercules. <laughs> Perfect. If you if you had to get Hercules back, but the only way you could is Eddie Murphy in a fat suit clapping along to Hercules, would would you want that? Yeah, that that, that no. <laughs> uh, so let's stray away from our, our Eddie Murphy references here. I, I want to provide another little game that Nathan gave us called Alarm Bell. Kurt, we're going to guess which episode will Bell wake up from the sleeping curse. And apparently, uh, which one of you listeners can hopefully track when it happens. It's three points if we get it right on the dot. Two if it's off by one, or one if it's off by two. How about we like get a point for play the price is right rules? Uh, you know, get seven bucks in your hand. Where we 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 get one point for every episode that we're off by, and you don't want the high score on this one. Um, I'm gonna say uh, it's between episodes two and three. I'm just trying to figure out which one. I'm gonna go three. Okay, because I was trying to look up while we were talking when M- Emily DeRaven was due, because one of the reasons why she was also put on Sleeping Curse is because she revealed in, I think, October that she was pregnant, which, you know, if, if that was the moment of conception, uh, I guess would put her at, what, like July as an expected due date, so that means she could probably film. I'll go, I'll go a couple episodes longer than you. I'm going to say, give me episode four. Why not? Four seems like a nice round number. I'll say episode four is when Belle wakes up and deals with all the chaos around her. Versus my episode three? Yeah, I guess we're, we're really okay. splitting hairs here, but we'll go three. So, three, so 3.5 is the over-under. I'm taking the under, you're taking the over. Yes, exactly. In some okay. sort of, in the nether worlds between episodes three and four, if something happens there, then I guess we tie. Yeah, yeah they could always film things out of order. <laughs> That's very true as well. Uh, so I have one more question here from SMY, which speaks more towards, more so towards the future of Once Upon a Time. With how season five concluded and the upcoming season six was set up, did you get any inclination one way or another on whether the show is preparing to come in for a landing on its own terms? Or do you think the show will string along half season by half season until ABC pulls it off the air, which could leave the show on a cliffhanger or lead to a hasty or unsatisfactory conclusion? With this being said, which main characters still have a ways to go for their story arc and which characters are basically done? So I'm going to let's sort of dissect that. Let's chop that in half, almost in a half season format and take it one chunk at a time. So first of all, Kurt, we're in season six of Once Upon a Time. By community rules, that should also be followed by a movie. I know we talked about this before, and we sort of do at the end of every season. How long do you see Once Upon a Time lasting? I mean, I believe the series hit, you know, series low ratings at one point during this back half of the season. I think we've got... Oh, boy. I would not be surprised if we got just two more seasons so it's to season eight or to season seven would be the final one 
Right. I think they're going to play out season six and I think they're going to be told season seven is going to be your last season, uh, wrap this sucker up and they're going to do it in a, uh, decent way. Yeah. I think speaking towards SMY's question, I don't think that ABC would just let them know out of the blue or unceremoniously cancel them. I feel like once upon a time has been going on for so long that they would absolutely let them know ahead of time. And the, so the creators would announce that this was the final season. So I don't think we're going to get, you know, the upfronts for the 2018, 2019 ABC schedule and then say, Oh wait, where's once upon a time. I think that's, that's totally out of the realm of possibilities. That being said, I could see seven seasons. I think I said before how seven seasons would seem perfect. Something tells me it's going to <laughs> one, one for each dwarf. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's not as much of a magical number as Game of Thrones, but even Game of Thrones seems to be going past seven seasons at this point. For some reason, it screams eight to me. And now I don't know how many seasons like Desperate Housewives went on for, but it seems like a very similar uh, type of thing of like it started off very hot and very much talked about, but it still had like somewhat of a loyal fan base moving forward. And I feel like Once Upon a Time is kind of in a similar boat to that unlike other shows you know like castle or nashville and castle even went for what like nine seasons before it was canceled yeah it's hmm. yeah you know what i i would not be surprised if it was eight i don't see it going past eight i was actually debating seven or eight um if it does go, if it does end at seven i think then we have to go through the due diligence of assigning a dwarf to each season um <laughs> And dibs on season three being dopey. Uh, oh, they're going to say sleepy. Oh, uh, or I would know grumpy because that's how it made me feel. <laughs> um, so basically you're, you're putting dwarfs <laughs> in as analogs for the mood that you had while watching it. Yes. Sleepy might have been season two for me just because uh, I, I have a, a hard part, time. Parts of season two. Yeah. No, well, I would say I hard, Greg and Tamara might have made me grumpy. <laughs> I have I have a hard time remembering a lot of season two. Um, anyway, uh, so yeah, it's I, I I do see ABC giving it a chance to wrap up its story in a nice way. I don't see it like you said suddenly being oh it's not on the schedule. What's up with that? Yeah. Um, so that being so yeah. said, speaking towards the second part of the question, let's say season season six is it for Once Upon a Time, uh, which it's not, but let's just say it is. Uh, are there any characters that you feel? Of our main characters, I know there are, there are some, Prince Philip, Lily, that are not resolved at this point, but of our main characters, <laughs> who do you feel like has totally completed their arc? They're good to go. They're just sort of chilling right now and interacting with the action at hand. And which characters do you feel like we still need to build at an endgame for? I think Emma's done. Like Once Emma believed in season one, um, I think that everything else that she's been dealing with has been kind of a uh, story of the season instead of like, you know, problem of the week. Even though the, uh, I would say the magic has sort of been her, her second arc, if you will, of her actually realizing that she can use magic. Right. But, but it seems like it's each season's now like dealing with a new wrinkle of that. Um, so I think like it, it's, she's dealing with whatever the latest season throws at her as opposed to kind of dealing with with personal issues. I'd agree that finding out that she could do magic opened up a new thing she dealt with. And I think she's dealt with that fine. Um, I don't necessarily feel like Regina's resolved yet. Um, mm-hmm. Well, especially enough- they, they opened up a new hole here with having her true love die a few episodes ago. Right. And her problem has always been, I don't deserve slash I will never get a happy ending. And that's still, it's, it's never been completely resolved. I wouldn't even say it's been the case where, um, uh, it, it's even when she was in a, a 
a happy by all accounts relationship with Robin Hood, there was still, I think always the sense that the rug might get pulled out from under her and it did. Um, so, uh, it, it, she hasn't had a definitive, uh, happy ending, which I think is her story arc. So I think she's missing that. Um, I, I don't really feel like David or Mary Margaret, um, looking back yeah it's like they haven't had really anything that needed to be resolved i I, i'd say take what you said about emma and it completely applies to mary margaret and david i feel like after season one once they realized who they were and found each other they were pretty much done i know they've had little little story arcs like you know mary margaret killing cora or you know them admitting to the fact that they gave away maleficent's dragon egg to save emma they've had little story arcs here and there but pretty much they've been probably the two most guilty of kind of serving as wallflowers for this for this series thus far yeah we've talked a lot about the writers like having to search for things for them to do yeah exactly i would say go go over there and buy a pretzel (laughs) oh and now it's a magic pretzel and you can use it to communicate with your baby uh i would say that henry is another one that i feel like is unresolved just because only last year we brought this whole author thing up and we could have ended the arc right there with henry breaking the pen but now that he went down to the underworld and now has a pen and he was even using the author powers at the in the finale to get the uh, the olympian crystal in his hand i feel like there's something in that and again i think we still need to explore and tap into this whole author sorcerer mythos and really figure out what being the author means and what he can and can't affect I don't think it doesn't feel like the writers are like excited about that. Um, Which sucks because I love that. (laughs) It's funny. Like if you look at it as unfinished business and like, if that's really the question that's on the table, it's like, like you said, Mary Margaret and snow, Mary Margaret and and David finished their business. Once they realized that they were each other and were together, Emma, uh, Emma finished her business, but then was given new business to finish. And she got another, she got another stack of papers in her inbox. Exactly. In terms of like dealing with magic. And now that's pretty much finished. I would say Regina has unfinished business in terms of like de- determining, you know, can she actually live with a happy ending? I don't really feel like Henry's even been given business, even in terms of the authorship. It felt like something that was very temporary and ephemeral and uh, lasted like a few episodes and was revisited once. Um, so, it, so Henry's kind of this strange case where, whereas all these other people had business to finish. Uh, a couple of them have finished it. Regina hasn't. I just don't really feel like Henry's, had any business unless like his initial business. I just realized you could defend, you know, take a shot every time I say business. Um, his initial business was trying to get people to believe him in season one, uh, especially Emma. He accomplished that after that. He just hasn't really seemed to have a role. Uh, they tried to make it like they tried to kind of have it happen with the author, mm. but it, they, they didn't really explore it so fully that it was something that we felt was that I felt was like a meaty some meaty substance for him. Yeah. I mean, it's we're down to our socks because it is business time with the amount of times that you just mentioned it. I think another thing that they sort of laid out rope for Henry, but sort of yanked it away at the last minute was the whole Neverland heart of the truest believer thing about how key uh, Henry was in Pan's exploits. But then after that, like it seems like being the result of somebody who is so magical like Emma, it would make sense why he he might have also have his own bouts of unquestionable magical power to use. But it seems like, like you said with David and Mary Margaret, I feel like the writers almost have 
a tough time dealing with Henry as well. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm I agree. grateful that season five at least gave him, even though some of the stuff was cringeworthy, it at least gave him more to do than it was during season four. But that being said, I think it's something they still need to figure out. And I guess if we're rounding out, you know, we talked about how I think gold. Yeah, I, I think we're still trying to figure out if that's unresolved or if we're just going to yeah. go back to the status quo at the end. Bell, I think, is unresolved. Zelina, I guess, is unresolved. Solved. I mean, we found out more about her, so we're working more towards that happy ending for her. But I feel like we only just recently got to know her in a way. I mean, she just, yeah, like looking at that side of things, I agree that gold, I think I feel like gold has unfinished business. Um, I feel like Belle is gold's unfinished business. I don't necessarily feel, I, I feel that anything that she is going through is just inextricably tied to what he's going through. So I can't really separate the two. I think that, um, I don't think anything I, I wouldn't say that necessarily she has unfinished business as much as she is the unfinished business of gold. Um, in terms of Zelina, uh, uh, it's that's a little bit up in the air for me. I think it depends on what her demeanor is like at the beginning of season six. Like if she's just uh, happy to have family and to be good, that, that they could go that direction. Um, I don't really see like I, I see her transitioning from evil to being a supportive uh, uh, sister to Regina, I see that being more the business that she was resolving. I don't necessarily see the lost love of Hades being her unfinished business. So, depending on what her stated kind of goals are at the beginning of season six, um, we might have unfinished. We might have finished business for Zelina. And one more character that I feel like we didn't talk about, Hook. But I feel like the reason oh, yeah. we talked about him is because I feel like he sort of had his unfinished business. I mean, he told Emma he loved her. I feel like this relationship is fine and good right now. So any sort of unfinished business he had with that relationship is now done. It's primarily his, his business has always been, just like Bell's been inextricably linked to what gold's going through. Um, I almost feel to some extent that hook is inextricably linked to what Emma's going through that he's almost like the, the, if you're kind of, you know, diagramming the sentence, he's the direct uh, object to uh, Emma's subject, so to speak. Wow. You're making me dip back into like my seventh grade. Seventh grade English class. Yeah. <laughs> so to finish things off, Kurt, um, if you want to give your, your final thoughts about the season and give me one bold prediction for something we will see in the front half of season six. Uh, final thoughts on season five. Uh, really enjoyed it. Again, it was like I said, uh, in second place or tied for second with season two in terms of a bold prediction for season six. Um, again, I'm sure that other, uh, you said, I think Ori had alluded to it. Uh, it just literally hit me as a possibility when we were talking about doppelgangers. Um, so I don't know if you count this as a bold prediction, but I think there is going to be an attempt to use, if not successfully use the, uh, splitting serum on gold in season six. Uh, I'll call it a semi bold prediction. I'll call it like an italicized prediction in terms okay. of, in terms of typeface. Um, my final thoughts on season five. Yeah. Like I said before, I really enjoyed it. Um, I really enjoyed getting to just talk through it with you, Kurt, even though there were things that we might not have enjoyed, particularly, I think we were, a little raging at uh, the placement of, again, of um, the Bear King, even though it seems like it really has... It's like it was like the Survivor Cook Islands where like or Survivor One World in terms of like there are returnees coming back and we're sort of like, wait, why are these threads being pulled out from this thing that we didn't really like? Uh, but it seemed to show some more prominence. I think there were a lot of really good elements in both tabs of these seasons. It felt like it had a very 
old school feel to me. It might be because we got to take a look at things like the dark one or reinvestigate old characters that we've looked at the past four seasons. But I don't know. It felt like the show was getting back to its roots in a way while still kind of living in that new school mentality. So I have nothing but high hopes for season six, especially again, since the library is pretty much open with all the books we can look into. Um, My bold prediction is that going back to this talk about hook coming down from Mount Olympus. I think we speculated before about him being a former Dark One. Is there any chance that Hook had retained some of the magic that he was able to possess as the Dark One? My bold prediction is that wherever he gleaned it, Hook is in possession of some sort of magical ability, and that we're going to see him hone and utilize that magical ability at some point in Season 6A. Can I uh, buffer my bold prediction as being, uh, I had mentioned it earlier, uh, the Evil Queen and Mr. Hyde hookup? All right. I like that. Let's let's okay. make let's make that OTP a thing. Uh, so if you guys have any thoughts or bold predictions as to season six, a if you have any thoughts as to the the feedback that we had talked about and the thoughts that we had about this season and season six and the series moving forward, you have a bunch of ways to reach out to us. As always, you can leave a, a comment here on postshowrecaps.com. And even though the season is ending, if you haven't yet, please make sure you subscribe to our Once Upon a Time only feed at postshowrecaps.com slash once iTunes. And please make sure you rate and review once you do. We are always greatly appreciate that. You can always reach out to us on Twitter. Kurt is at Kurt Clark. I am at a Mike Bloom type. Uh, but even though we might be winding things down, post show recaps definitely has not. Game of Thrones is still going strong. Fear the Walking Dead just had its midseason finale. <laughs> uh, I know that the Seinfeld rewatch is still going. Mr. Robot is going through its season one rewatch before its season two premiere. As it as you know, we should be building up some energy here, Kurt, because I don't know if you know this, but post show recaps, <laughs> the very network we're podcasting on, is nominated for not one but two podcasting awards this year. I like to think that I'm 1% responsible for that nomination. <laughs> you are more than 1%. We, we, we contribute to a rather large I, podcast on this no, no. site. I mean, I am the 1%. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> Take it. No, 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 I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Speaking of 2011. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so podcast awards voting is open now until I believe June 12th. Uh, voting is open daily at post at a podcast awards Dot com. While you're there, you can vote for post-show recaps in the People's Choice and TV and Film Award. If you can, please vote as much as you can daily would be awesome. Just so you know, when you do vote, you'll send you a confirmation email that you have to go back into your email to confirm those votes. Uh, but I know Rob and Josh are doing some Road to the Podcast Awards series where they're talking some extra podcasting about some of their favorite stuff from scripted television and movies, which is a lot of fun. But I, I would say on behalf of all of us at Post Show Recaps, I mean, we, we put in a load of work here and we have a lot of fun doing it. So and we're grateful for the listeners out there as well. So any votes that could be thrown our way would be greatly appreciated. Yeah, you know, vote early, vote often. Uh, that being said, I would also, in addition to thanking the listeners, would like to thank Scott St. Pierre, who sifts through the podcast that we sent them every week, all 22 episodes, or I guess 23, uh, depending on how you count the episode. So thank you so much, Scott. You are doing Zeus's work, truly, in, in uh, posting all this content. Kurt, do you have anything that you'll be checking out over the summer that you want to let the listeners know about? Um, gosh, I'm trying to think ahead to, uh, there's a, there's a couple kind of, um, uh, 
looks like summer drama series on uh, on the, the the main network. So I think American Gothic is a kind of a a mystery that uh, series that I think is just a, a limited event series that I'm interested in checking out. For those of you who ever saw Harper's Island when it was on CBS, I'm hoping it's a little something like that. Uh, also, quick plug there: if you've not seen Harper's Island, I suggest you're checking it out on Netflix if you can. Um, I believe then there's another one. It's like a political, strange-looking thriller. Is it called Brain Dead? I don't know if you've seen the promotions. No, I've never seen that f- for that. I could be getting the name wrong. Um, it looks like it's a little bit of kind of an off kilter, uh, political, uh, slightly humorous drama. Um, so there's a few things I'm, I'm interested in, in checking out in terms of uh, network TV. Um, obviously some of the, the reality shows coming on this summer, uh, you know, could potentially be interesting, but, uh, otherwise just kind of seeing what comes up. Yeah. So I don't know if you know this, Kurt, but, uh, Adam Kitz and Edward Horowitz, who are the creators of Once Upon a Time, will have a new show come out this summer on Freeform, staying with that network synergy called Dead of Summer, which I guess is a serialized take on the, uh, you know, the Friday the 13th or, uh, uh, What's the, the is that Friday the Thirteenth the Jason Bo- the Jason films <laughs> the Jason Bourne films yes the Jason Bourne films yes when Jason Bourne <laughs> yeah. uh, forgets that he's a serial killer but he goes into a ser- summer camp anyway yeah so to take yeah. on those movies uh, which should be interesting it's very different again if we're talking about the fantasy elements of Once Upon a Time versus the possible horror elements this definitely skews towards the horror elements oh. uh, that being said as a, someone who is not a fan of horror I might watch the first couple episodes and then immediately duck out but if you're interested in something that's along the lines of Once Upon a Time that's something to check out i know one of our listeners has requested a it seems like a book series or a comic book series called fables which yeah. apparently is we've, very very much talked in lo- about it we've talked about it on the show before oh um, right, right right yeah yeah it's basically there's a part of new york where um all of the uh, these fairy tale characters kind of live and they have to be glamoured so that they look like uh normal folks in fact there's a uh uh a uh a telltale games put together kind of a, a five oh, the, the wolf chap- among us right Exactly. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's a, a comic book series and it's, it's, it's a much more adult and dark, uh, than, than, than once upon a time. Um, and the other thing that I'm going to do myself, uh, take it upon my accountability as I podcast it out. Kurt, I think I'm going to watch Once Upon a Time in Wonderland this summer. Um, I know you, you've seen bits and pieces of it. I've never seen it. And I feel like there might be some inkling of information in there that can connect back to our podcasting that I I just don't know about and having not accessed the show. I know throughout our comments section this half season, people were making references to Once Upon a Time in Wonderland. So I think it's it's my own little piece of drywall that I'm going to paint in uh, in my own timeline in watching Once Upon a Time in Wonderland this summer. Nice. And the funny thing is that I was actually um, looking ahead on my DVR to see what's being taped in the next couple of weeks. And I thought for a moment there as I was paging through uh, up and down through um, uh, what what's set to be you know, scheduled for recordings. I thought I swore I saw Once Upon a Time in Wonderland and the word Wonderland listed. And I went back up to see it. I didn't see it there. So I then searched for for Wonderland and, and Once Upon a Time in Wonderland didn't come up. So I had kind of like a little bit of a vision and you know maybe I need to go back and recommit and, and try to check it out. Did you have a Henry vision? Did your eyes go white as you just started drawing automatically? Yes. Yes, I did. Uh, so that being said, Kurt Clark, fantastic job as always. Uh, I love getting on to talk about this stuff with you and breaking down all the confusing, invigorating, frustrating stuff that happens on this show. And I'm thrilled to come back for season six. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it and seeing, um, you know, how does how does the how do we address the land of untold uh, stories? 
un- unfinished land of unfinished business. What what the heck was there? It was, it was land of untold stories. You're right. The first okay, time. Okay. 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 Um, uh, so yeah, definitely interesting seeing how that evolves. To finish things off, Kurt, let's give a final hashtag for this season wrap up and this feedback show. I can't get Quasalina out of my head, unfortunately. Yes, make it spread. Infect the Twitter sphere with it. So yeah, so Q U A S I for Quasimodo, and then I guess uh, so Quasalina L E N A. So yep. yeah, Quasalina. All right, so hashtag Quasalina. Let's get it spread, guys. Tweet it to Edward Kitsis and Adam Horowitz if you like to 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 make sure that you want this pairing to happen. So again, thank you guys so much for not only contributing the feedback for this show, but for your listenership and your patronage all season long. We'll be we will be back in the fall to talk about season six. But for now, if you want to set up a date for Baby Neil and Baby Robin, just play Henry and Violet's song. It seems to work for everyone. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.